12, 14, and 15 is the scriptural basis for the song. As a warning against refusing God, the author wrote, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you on this great day to give thanks and praise for the many blessings you've given us. We thank you for labor and work, for all these people who have worked so hard all their lives and have put themselves on the line for family and friends and have built this country. We just give you praise and thanksgiving for that, Lord, and I praise you for you abundantly blessing us in the richest country in the world. Lord, I pray, Lord, receive these gifts as we give them for the kingdom's work, and many souls will come to Christ. Bless these now who give, in Jesus' name, amen. Take time to be holy, speak off with the Lord. Abide in Him always, and feed on His Word. Make friends of God's children, help those who are weak. Forgetting in nothing is blessings to see. Take time to be holy, the world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus, like him thou shalt be. Thy friends in thy conduct, his likeness shall see. Take time to be holy, let him be thy guide. And run not before him, whatever betide. In joy or in sorrow, still follow the Lord. And looking to Jesus, still trust in his word. come before the presence of the Lord. Heavenly Father, today we are so grateful that we can again come before you. That's a group of people who really love you and desire to worship you and give you all the praise and glory that you deserve. There's no one like you in all eternity in the world. And yet here you are, God, with us, abiding with us. Lord, help us, Lord, to remember that all our days. Help us to walk in your presence as we should. 
We thank you, God, for this time, though, Lord, especially with we can come to you and share our hearts and our desires, our hurts, our wounds, and those that we love. We ask you, Father God, to open our minds and hearts as we hear you from your word today. And then we also, Lord, obey those words, not just hear them, but be good doers of them. And today, Lord God, we pray for our country. We think of the craziness that goes on in our world and we pray for our president and Congress and those who are in the judicial branch who guide this country and for our own law enforcement and for soldiers out foreign soils that are protecting this wonderful democracy we have. We pray also too, Lord, for those who are on our streets every day. Father, we pray for our family, Lord, that can't be with us anymore, that are bound by their health conditions think of Bill and for Lucille and Joyce and Karen as they battle. I pray for Joyce, especially as she's preparing to have surgery. We pray also, too, for Everett and Todd and Angie and Samantha and Jason Stevens as they, and Jordan as they all battle cancer. You know that disease, Lord, so well. And we pray for their healing. We think for Nicholas, Lord, and for wisdom and when he can get that surgery done and health can come to both him and mom and the family so that he can get it taken care of. We pray also too for Chris's mom and for his wife and the health issues they have for mom who's just come from surgery. We thank you too for Howard that had surgery on his back and is doing so well and he's with us. We give you praise for that. We pray also too for uh, the road armors, especially our brother who uh, right now has got a health condition, Lord, that's very serious. We pray for his healing be with Reva as she watches over Floyd. We pray also too, Lord, for those who are battling addictions, for Jordan who's transitioning right now, and we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, this will be a wonderful thing for him, for Ryan, for David, for Eric, for Ricky, for Russell. All these who battle that addiction and are different stages of it, Lord, and we just pray that they will follow your way and not their own, and they will seek you for their victory over their addiction. And Father, we pray for our church as we move into a new era, as we begin to join the Bible Presbyterian Church, as we finalize all that, that everything will go smoothly. We pray also, too, for um, our leaders and for those in the future who will be leaders, that you'll give them wisdom in guiding our church as we go along together to uh, fulfill your will in this community. We pray also, too, for the husband whose wife was killed yesterday on Highway 54 by a senseless shooting. I just pray for him and for his family as they mourn the loss and as he watched his wife die. Just bring comfort to his soul, Lord, and be with those who minister to that scene who are totally overwhelmed by the sadness of it all, senseless. We pray for the shootings that we've had in this community this week again, and the foolishness that people do and how they hurt people and how they uh, steal and, and thieve, Lord, Lord, how much we realize our mission is so important 
that people need you, Jesus. Our society has gone crazy, Lord. And we need to be out there in front showing the truth, Lord. I pray also, too, for a wife who has walked away from her marriage. I pray, Lord, that you lay heavy upon her heart and she realize she knows what's right and that you'll convict her soul and be with her husband who so much wants to keep his marriage and family together. Be with their children, too, who are being broken by it, Lord. And I pray, Lord, too, for this day that we can take time to be holy and reflect on you and spend time with you and see you as you really are. Now, Lord God, bless our time together here and may it be fruitful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Henry Flagger founded two cities in America. You might know them by Miami and Palm Beach. In 1867, for $100,000, he invested in Standard Oil, which today would amount to about $1.6 billion, and he benefited by it by $75 billion. John Gray, in 1903, invested $10,000 in Ford Motor Company, and it turned out to be $26 million profit. Almost 250,000% profit. And then Asa Candler, who invested $2,300 in Coca-Cola and wound up being $25 million. All those investments, and we think about it even in our age. I had a friend that invested $700 in Microsoft, which now would have turned to about $2 million a day from that little investment. Jesus today comes to us and is very sobering to us because he comes to us. And as you remember, there were the three pillars that the Pharisees held to, which was giving, prayer and fasting. And what we find here is Jesus works and speaks to us very clearly about fasting and about how we're to come to grips with what's inside of ourselves and understanding who's master in our lives. You see, the church is an organization, and organizations can fail. But the organism of the church where Jesus Christ is head, we surpass to reign supreme by faith. And Jesus today comes to us. If you remember, Jesus was declared the Son of God at his baptism. Forty days and forty nights he fasted and was attacked by the devil, and that he was tempted in every which way. And then he pulled aside 12 men to disciple on what we call is now as the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins with the Beatitudes and he says, blessed are you for your poverty because you believe and know that you the Lord. And then he goes on to the second person. He says, you are the soul of the earth where the purifiers. That's why when we see things in our society, yes, we feel sad and we say, oh, that's terrible. But we just don't sit there, but we pray and we begin to try to make ways in which we can make influences in society that people can be purged from this sin, that they can see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that we can purify our society, that we're the light of the world and that we shine the light on the darkness, and that we also show them the way to Jesus himself. That's what Jesus is talking about, that you and I are the salt and we're the light 
And we're to be that for our society. And finally, then Jesus began and spoke to them. And one of the things he spoke to them is about their theology. You see, the Pharisees bragged about their orthodoxy. But Jesus knew their orthodoxy was not right. They would brag about their not committing murder. Of course, the physical part of it. But inside their hearts, when they hated somebody, Jesus says, that's just like committing murder. Your heart is not right. Then they would say, well, we didn't commit adultery. Yeah, you didn't do the physical part. But you lusted after women and you've divorced people that you shouldn't have divorced. Because of your lust of your hearts. Because your intentions were not right. And then Jesus came to us last week and started with the orthopraxy, which is being the practice of art. Orthodoxy is right believing. Orthopraxy is the right actions. And he began with the three pillars that the Pharisees held to two of them. One was giving, and the second one was prayer. But now Jesus goes on to the third one, which is fasting. Fasting is a very important thing, but as you know, the Pharisees had a way of doing it. The Pharisees loved people to see them pray in public, and they did it for men's approval, not for God's. They gave money and they had trumpets blown when they dropped money into the offering plate because they wanted everybody to see how great they were and it was an ego pump. But Jesus said, that's not the way to do it, disciples. And now today he comes to us with a third thing about fasting. It's interesting, you know, when we think about fasting, we think about working out and losing weight. That's not Jesus is talking about. Fasting should be part of our discipline. Probably not many Christians today do it. A lot of times we in the church emphasize prayer and giving, but very rarely do we talk about fasting. But fasting is a fascinating thing that God expects for us. Look at what Jesus says to us. He doesn't say, well, you have the option to fast. No, what does he say? He says, whenever you fast... Do not put on gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect the appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will be not noticed by men but by your Father who knows in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus here is not talking about a great way to lose weight. It is a great way to lose weight, but let me tell you something. Jesus is talking about the spiritual exercise of denying ourselves things to heighten our experience and know him even better. To be able to focus on him fully and he clearly speaks to us here. And he talks about how easy it is to lose sight in our society. And especially with us being so blessed with so much abundance. It's easy to be distracted away from him. It's easy to be distracted away from life and reality of life. And we can go about doing our thing and not be affected by other people until something tragic happens to us. And Jesus here is, wants us to go deeper with him. And part of that is praying as you fast. 
that you take yourself to a deeper level and deny yourself something so that you can be freed of it and you can more focus on God. The Bible is full of it. Jesus talks about it here to his disciples because he wants them to develop this task. But at first he was mocked for it because the Pharisee says, well, your disciples don't fast. And Jesus says, because I'm still with them. They have me right here. They're nothing to mourn for. But when I leave, they're going to fast. They're going to need to stake time and deny themselves some of the things and even the pleasures of life so that they can become closer to me. They can sense me even greater. Book of Acts, we see it. How the disciples spent time fasting to seek God's guidance about where they were going to be going with their lives. Some of you have done that with prayer and fasting when you're retiring or thinking about your retirement. And Jesus also talks about fasting and praying. When you're bringing people into ministry, that's what they did. When they chose people, they fasted and prayed for God to give them wisdom to bring the right people in leadership. To lead them through the next phase. The Bible even talks about it. Paul talks about fasting between a couple, a marriage. That there comes a point where sometimes couples need to fast from their intimacy physically. So they can focus on God and then they can return and rejoice for what God has given to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And then we also see it again in 2 Corinthians 6. Even while he was suffering, Paul spent time fasting to become closer and more intimate and in getting the strength that he needed from God. And when he was weary and tired... There were times that he took off from food or from water so that he could find himself. A lot of times we think about fasting as just about food. And, but Jesus talks about it, and we see it even in some of the men today who speak about it. It's more than food. You don't have to do a food one. I can remember when I was in high school and I had come to know Christ. And about my second year into it, God put on my heart that maybe, just maybe, and he was right, that sports became a God in my life. And I began to fast from sports events as far as watching them. Because I consumed my time that I could have been with him in doing his kingdom work. And sometimes we need to do that. We need to take time out and fast from the very things that we love and enjoy. So that we can more focus on God and not be distracted by the things of this world. And how easy it is to become hooked on that. And then Jesus also speaks to us though about not doing it hypocritically. Dave, don't tell people that you're fasting from sports. Just do it quietly. Because it's easy to become a hypocrite because we're doing it because we want to show people how spiritual we are. Jesus says, no. Do it quietly. Because what happens is, you see, when we talk about it and brag about it, it becomes hypocritical. And we deny ourselves the true joy of the intimacy with God. It robs us of the spiritual rewards that God wants to give us when we fast. 
Hypocrisy comes when it robs us of our spiritual influence because it continues to want to add to ourselves rather than to God. And so the first thing we need to do, if you want to fast, if there's something in your life that seems to have a little bit more over your life than God, think about fasting from it for a week or two or three. See how much it has a hold on your life. You see, the Pharisees loved to fast. And really, the Bible only tells them they only had to fast during the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. But the Pharisees adopted Mondays and Thursdays. You know why they adopted those days? Because that was when the most people were in the marketplace so they can show how religious they were and how cool they were. You see, fasting... When we do it, we do it secretly, and we build our relationship to God, and we find ourselves deeper and fathomed in Him. And then when the thing that we want to have begins to pull us, we put Him in front of that draw to be in Him. I've seen people do a great job in learning how to fast to overcome addictions, if they're willing to put God first and fast from their addiction. Fasting should be a normal thing for us. The way once we spot something that's got a control of our lives, that we take time to fast from it. Fasting is focusing the time that we have on God and not our supposed thing that we desire. And that during that time we fervently pray. And we live obediently. It was interesting in reading Zechariah. How the people of God wanted to be obedient and they, they, they fasted, but they still continued to live sinful lives. And Zechariah got on him about that. He said, when you fast, your focus is on God and you work even more hardly in, in being able to hold on and be more obedient in your life. Sometimes we fast when we have a loss. Somebody dies in our life that is so important to us. And we know that sometimes God will take beautiful people from us because he wants us to be understanding, to know that how much important that person was to us. Yes, they were, and we loved them dearly. Sometimes we can wind up depending on a person too much and not depending on God. And when God takes that person from him, Corianne Tenboom dealt with this when she lost her sister. And she came up with the idea, learn how to hold the things you love most dearly, loosely in your arms and in your hands, especially when God takes them from you. You see, fasting is an appropriate means, too, to seeking God's strength to conquer over some of our sins and our passion. Maybe you have something you're addicted to. And that plagues you and has a stronghold on your life. And maybe you need to fast. Stop doing it for a day or two days. Or fasting from something, a pattern that you have. And breaking it. Sometimes we fast when we're in desperate situations. David fasted when his baby was dying and he was crying out to the Lord and he fasted for that child to live. Esther 
when she was going before the king, that if she went before the king and he didn't call her, she could have had her head chopped off. But instead, she asked her uncle Mordecai and the people around her to fast and pray for her as she approached the king. We also know that Daniel fasted and prayed. Why? So that he could get revelations from God and that God could reveal to him. We see that the same thing happened in the New Testament in Acts chapter 13, where they're looking for the Holy Spirit to give them guidance on where to do ministry. And God does that. He gives us a heightened awareness of what he desires. When great ministries take off, a fasting. Maybe you might want to fast for a day as we come into this new denomination. And that God reveals to us what we need to do and how much we can be more. Sometimes fasting is very important for us to take self-control. It's easy to get lost and lose control of what we're even doing with our own lives. We just go on and do things, things, and things. We don't think about them. And here God gives us the opportunity. And fasting is also appropriate to help you when you do mercy ministries. Believe me, folks. If your heart is not right, you can become very jaded in giving to other people. Especially when they don't appreciate it. The other day. <laughs> Pastor Dave, our family needs money. We need food. Could you help us out? Okay, meet me at the Dillon's in 13th and West Street. Go in, buy a $25 gift certificate, Dillon's. Feed this young man. We're not young, he's in his 50s. And when I meet him, he says, Pastor Dave, how much is it? I said, it's for $25. That's it? You got another one? Huh? Well... He says, I wanted to have a party for my brother. Well, get in the car. Let's go to the liquor store, buy a case, and we'll go down to the cake shop and buy a cake. Sure, why not? All under the auspices that he needed money to feed his family. And then he was disappointed. And the way to not get jaded, folks, is to fast and be on your knees to forgive and to still love and not get jaded by it. Jesus talks to us here now. And he says, prepare yourselves with this prayer and fasting and giving because now, folks, he comes to us with another issue. And this is a challenging issue for us in America today. I know for my own life, because Jesus then comes to us and says, well, now in this deep relationship we have, we need to look at your soul, Dave. When he's asking us, he says to us, what's your treasure? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. 
Now Jesus comes to us and says, as we have this abiding promise of his presence and as we're living in very much communion with him, Jesus does not separate the spiritual from the material. He says it's all one. It's from the Father in heaven. And many of his parables deal with this, with material blessings. And he does not criticize legitimate wealthy people. In fact, some people think, well, he's down on the rich and good with the poor. No. Jesus is dealing with the heart of man, whether they're rich or poor. There are greedy people who are poor because they envy people who have. And that's their greed coming out when they resent people who have things. A friend the other day was telling me that some kid was getting down on him because he had so much and that he should get rid of it. <laughs> well, you see, he was enslaved to that young man because he wanted it for himself. You see, Jesus knows how much material things and money can easily enslave us. And when we go down into this deep understanding of our relationship with God, begin to look at what are the things that I treasure most in my life? Because we know that in wealth, Jesus knew that wealth can enslave your heart and take over your soul and your mind. And that the aim to gain so much can win out over everything. Now, there are people who look at different kinds of theology. There's people who believe that Christians just should have poverty theology. And that means they should give everything away and, and not have anything. And that's not what the Bible says. There are very rich people in the Bible that God used to be blessings to the world because they did it with the giving heart of God. There's some people in our society that you know and you listen to it on TV. Prosperity preachers who begin to preach that if you give my ministry this amount of money, God is going to fill your bank account. And there are people who believe that. And it's their greed that's talking, not their heart to Jesus. And it's tragic there are many gospel preachers who go out and do that. And then... The proper theology is to see it as God has gifted us with this. How can we use this to glorify him and help build the kingdom of Jesus Christ? That's the way to do it. That's the way to honor him and that we make him our master and our Lord. Do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and dust corrupt. We hear those words, and it's very easy to fall into that trap. It's like the man who, back at the turn of the century, began to dig and look in the ocean of a ship that had sunk. And when he found the treasure, he was 76 years old, and he was excited about it and the governments got involved of Spain and the United States and the judges had to rule it 
and wound up having to pay 20% of it to a state of Florida so that, that they, and that he could keep the rest. Tragically, he died at 76. And he was under indictment for selling people false gold that he said had come from the ship. That's what greed can do to a person. Randy Acorn talks about wealth. And he talked about the Confederacy. And now there was a man from New York State who was building up quite a cash cow in the South, in Virginia, during the war. But just before the war ended, he realizes the North was going to win. And he began to exchange it, and he tried to just exchange enough so that he could have enough of Confederate money to still survive every day. But there were some people who would not. They held on to their Confederate money. And when the war was over, it was, a dollar was worth four cents. Some people even used it as wallpaper in their kitchens because it wasn't worth anything. And when we hold on to those things, we find ourselves no longer being the master, but that it masters us. Jesus says it. He speaks through the Apostle Paul here in Timothy. And look what he says to Timothy. But those who get rich fall into temptation and snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. And notice what he says, and people misunderstand this. They think money's the problem. Money's not the problem. It's the love for money. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, wander away from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. I was reading about some of the millionaires and billionaires of our day and of the past. What they said about money, John D. Rockefeller, he said, I have had many millions, but they have not brought me happiness. John Rockefeller. We hear it again from Vanderbilt, who said he had no pleasure in it because he was up day and night thinking about how he could make more and not lose what he had. Henry Ford said, I was happier when I was a mechanic on a job. And Andrew, Andrew Carnegie said, millions seldom, millionaires seldom smile. They know. Jesus is stating a fact here, folks. When we store up our treasures in heaven, though, we can rejoice because at last... It has eternal significance for us. The question is that, do we believe that? Do we believe that God will actually care for us enough so that when we give to him, that he will honor it and it will explode in eternity for us? Right now, many people are talking about going to a different system financially. It's a scary thought because the government will take over more control of this new monetary system. And people are worried, and I think we should be. But 
if God were to take it all from us, would we be so broke and poor without him? You see, the key is whether or not we have him. Yes, it's very nice. We get our security. We feel comfortable with the money we have. It makes us feel a sense of serenity. But there are times I think we add, I know in my life, sometimes I'm thinking I'm too comfortable with it rather than really resting totally on him. And Jesus knows this, and look what he asks him the next thing. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad and your whole body is full of darkness, if then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. No one can, say, can serve two masters. You see, materialism can easily enslave us. It can enslave our minds. It can take over our wills and our passions that we no longer see clearly what God has for us. And God wants us to enjoy the abundance of life, and he's given us prosperity. But we have to ask ourselves, is that my master? Or is Jesus my master? And do I look at what God has given me as a gift from him, am I willing to use it for his glory? Does it set me free to enjoy ministry and minister to my friends, to love them? We see Barnabas in the New Testament was very wealthy, and yet he was free. He wanted to buy folks and, and, and food and clothing and took care of them in the midst of his wealth. But the question comes to all of us then, do I depend on it as my source of security? Do I depend on it as my source of satisfaction with myself? Ah, I made it. Do I depend on it as my source of satisfaction and significance? That I'm important in this life. And Jesus comes back to us and asks, where's your heart? Where's your vision? What are you looking at? What are you looking toward? Who's your master? You can't serve two masters, Jesus said. And so that's where we leave it. And as we close today, God has blessed us immensely. I love this congregation because they have generous hearts. And God has used you for his glory. And we know that how blessed God has made us, that we truly don't allow the materialism, the money, take control of us. And it may not be money. It may be something else in our life. And Jesus is saying to us, don't let anything else master you. Let me be your master and your Lord. And he will bless us, as the Bible says. In fact, in 2004, it was interesting. I learned that most Christians don't fast. I want to encourage you. This week, think of something that's important to you. And fast over it this week.
so that it'll bring you closer to God and that you realize the pull that it has on you. And also, think about where material things are in your life, where money is in your life. And ask yourself, is Jesus right here? Have I allowed that to master me, become my only thought process? Are my eyes filled with getting more? Or is it filled with him? I was reading about a pastor who his church was building a new church. And a widow in the congregation had lost her husband two years earlier was very generous and he died with a lot leaving his wife with a lot but she wasn't as generous as him and she got nervous when the pastor asked for some money now some people believe that pastors go after people's money I personally don't often ask for money, and I'm not asking for it today. I'm asking you to evaluate where you're at with money. Some people have the attitude like the parents had the little boy who swallowed a quarter, and the wife grabbed the kids and said, let's go and take them to the ER to get the quarter out. And the father said, no, let's take them to the pastor. We can get money out of anybody. You see, that's why some people look at the church. They're always looking for money. That's not the point here. The point is looking at the things in our life become masters of us. This woman knew how generous her husband was. But she had a hard time. Even though she had a lot more than she'll ever need. And she heard the sermon and she got outside in the parking lot, and as she opened up her purse, a moth flew out. Uh-oh. She got home and called the pastor and said, Pastor, you've got to come over and bring a pledge card because I made a mistake. When he got there, she explained to him that the moth flew out of her purse, and she realized that Jesus was telling her something. The money that she had, moth and dust are going to corrupt. And she had a real privilege to give some money to a cause for the Lord. And she said, give me that pledge card. And she tripled what she was going to give. Why? Because she realized that she can't take it with her. And that she's going to be able to enjoy it. Knowing that she had left the mark to help people come to Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we just give you thanks and praise for the privileges that you give us in this life. We thank you especially, Lord God, for fasting. Lord, we do a lot of praying, but sometimes we don't fast. And as you encourage your disciples to fast while they prayed, to come in touch with the things that maybe hold us maybe have a little grip on our lives more than we realize and that we need to be intensely focused on you. 
I just pray, Father God, that we can enact that. And we thank you for your message this morning about some of the things that can easily enslave us. Lord, we want you to be our master. We know that there are other things in this world can become our masters. And we realize we know that we can't run with you and with those other masters. And so we ask you, Jesus, today, we want to serve you. We want to live for you. We want to lay our lives down for you to honor and glorify the greatest being of all eternity. It's you, God. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. At this time, we're going to have our communion service. If you remember, communion is a remembrance to remind us of what Jesus Christ has done for us in our lives. How he died on the cross and saved us from our sins. We're reminded that he's with us every day in communion with us. And we're reminded also by as we take this bread and drink this cup that the future is ours to enjoy. That we have heaven prepared for us as a place to be able to glorify and live in his full presence with our loved ones. And so right now, Jesus reminds us, and as we obey the commandment that he gave us, he says, the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Take and eat. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who believes in me will never hunger and thirst. Amen. In like manner also, Jesus took the cup. And when he had supped, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. 
this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Remembrance of the blood of Jesus Christ that washed away all our sins. Oh Lord, what a wonderful sacrifice. That you would lay down your life, leaving heaven. The beauty and majesty and the perfection. To come down here. To put yourself... And sacrifice all for us. Lord, we have no words to say, but thank you for such great love. And because of you, Christ, we can pray this. Amen. Please rise as we sing together our closing song. Now may the Lord God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you his peace both now and to the day he comes. Amen.